Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. 1 Peter chapter 1, looking together at verses 1 through 5. Peter um, was the first to see the empty room of the, uh, the empty tomb of the, of the 12 apostles. Peter was the rock. Peter was the glory of that crowd. So we're going to listen to him as he speaks about, about our hope. And I invite you to stand with me as we look together at 1 Peter 1, 1 through 5. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as exiles, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to the obedience of Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled and unfading, having been kept in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Word of the Lord. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, it is your word and your son who are our focus this morning. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that your son may in word and thought inhabit us, Father, so that these words I speak may not be mere words, but may be accompanied by your Holy Spirit and bring conviction and have power. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Peter writes to a group of people who are scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. It's it's an arc. It kind of goes from west to to east. It encompasses really a great deal of what was the known world, the, at least the Roman world, at the time of Peter's writing this. Beginning at Pontus, moving across through the center of modern-day Turkey and Cappadocia, Asia, which is also Turkey today, Bithynia, But he isn't speaking to that entire region. He's speaking to those who reside there as exiles. Those who live in that region of the world, but really aren't at home in that region of the world. To those who are not at home in the world. And thus he speaks to many of you. And I hope to all of you. To exiles. The great apostle Peter. And he speaks to you and he says to you, I'm addressing those of you who like myself are exiles. He's an exile. He's an exile from Jerusalem. He's on his way to death in Rome. And yet he writes to a group of people scattered across the known world. And he says, you who are exiles, I want to speak to you. I have words for you. You who live in this world but aren't of it. Those of you who are separated out from this world. Are you separated out from the world? Uh, the, the cause of the separation with us, if we are exiles today, as with Peter in his day, is not found in us, but lies in the one who chose us. 
And so he immediately turns and says to those who reside as exiles scattered in these regions who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. He's speaking of himself and he's speaking of you, the great apostle, the rock, the one on whom Jesus said, I'll build my church. The first of the disciples, the first man to say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God to Jesus. The one who ran to the tomb to see if his savior was indeed missing. This one says to you, I'm like you. I'm an exile and I'm chosen to be an exile. And so it is a privilege to be an exile in this world. It's a privilege that comes to you by the choice of God. It is God's choice if you're an exile this morning. If you look at this world with eyes that say this is not my home. It's a privilege granted you as it was granted Peter by the choice of God. Who has out of all mankind, out of all those who live, across time, across regions, across oceans and continents, has said, I know you. I know you. He's chosen us according to his foreknowledge, the foreknowledge of God the Father. Don't make the mistake of thinking that that foreknowledge is based in you. Many people like to say that God foreknew that you were going to be good, that you were going to come to faith, that you were going to be in some way meriting his choice of you. And thus, because he has this prescience, he can look into the future. He saw you and said, before it even happened, he's going to be good. He's going to believe in me. Therefore, I will choose him. That's not at all the case. This foreknowledge of you that Jesus speaks of, or that Peter speaks of here, which is according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, is by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to the obedience of Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood. This foreknowledge comes to you and this choice comes to you by the work of the Holy Spirit, by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Now you know what it is to be sanctified, don't you? It means to be set apart. It means to be made holy. And what Peter writes here is it's not that you were holy and you were already set apart in God's mind because you were going to be holy, but God chose you to become holy. Holiness, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, this work that makes you stand apart from the world as an exile in the midst of it, is the result of God's choosing you. It's not why he chose you, it's what you become as a result of God's choice. And so the the passage goes on and it says, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, you are chosen to the obedience of Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood. To, towards, in other words, for the purpose of the obedience of Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood. To the obedience of Jesus Christ. That could mean two things. The one possibility is that it means that you are chosen to be obedient to Jesus Christ. And that's essential. And that's a perfectly um, good rendering of, of it. There's another possibility here. And And that is that it could also mean that you're chosen to receive the obedience of Jesus Christ. And that you are chosen by God 
and then granted the riches of what Jesus has earned by his obedience in your life so that you're chosen to receive the obedience of Jesus Christ. For those of us who know how hard it is to obey and how little we obey, even as exiles in this world, the idea that we have been chosen to receive the obedience of Jesus and for that obedience to be our righteousness is glorious. The reason it may be that is that the next thing that Peter writes is that you've chosen to the obedience of Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood. Every time in the Old Testament that the priest offered a sacrifice, whether it was a sacrifice of a lamb, the sacrifice of a goat, the sacrifice of a bull, a big animal, the sacrifice was not complete with the death of the animal and the pouring out of the blood. What completed the sacrifice of that animal, what made it a full sacrifice, was at the very end, the, took, the priest would take in, in his hands or in a, some kind of, a, some kind of a, a utensil. We don't know how they did it. But he'd take and dip in the blood, that utensil or his hand, and he'd sprinkle it on the congregation. And that was the completion of the sacrifice. And what it meant was that the blood of that animal had been seen by God and had satisfied his wrath and that that blood now covered those who were in that room. And this is what Peter says has happened in the death of Jesus. That in the death of Jesus, God has taken the blood of his son and spread it by his spirit all over you. So not only do you receive his righteousness, but he takes your sin away and the wrath of God is, is satisfied. That delivers us, Peter writes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us. He delivers us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead belongs to those who have been covered by the blood of Jesus. It is their living hope, a living hope. And I wanna, I wanna spend a few minutes really in conclusion speaking to those of you who are young this morning. Those of you who haven't hit 30 yet, those of you who haven't hit 20, maybe even those of you who haven't hit 10. I address you calling on you to embrace a living hope. The Bible, Peter, the great apostle, refers to this process of our salvation, of our blood and guilt being redeemed by the blood of Jesus, of our unrighteous deeds being taken away and the righteousness of Christ coming into us and us being made exiles and strangers on earth because we live here as chosen of God. He speaks of it as being the recipients of a living hope, of, of coming to enjoy the living hope that is found through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I call on you to embrace this living hope. I urge you to make this hope the great hope of your life. 
And what does it mean that it's a living hope? I'll turn to why you should embrace it young, but what does it mean that it's a living hope? Well, I have the opportunity often in, in, uh, in my capacity as pastor here <laughs> to stand right about here on Saturday afternoons, Saturday evenings, sometimes Saturday mornings, and to watch as young men are lined up to my left and young women come in from the back and line up to my right, and I get to watch the guy who's closest to me usually as I'm presiding over the wedding, and uh, I see him and how he often, not always, but often how he starts to swell as the bridesmaids come in and make their way down, and then there's that kind of pregnant pause during which the mother of the, of the bride stands up and that guy's standing there and he's looking towards that door and he's going to often, it's not always, but often he's going to catch his first sight of his bride as she comes in. Now, that's not the hope of a guy who first asked that girl out. Now, when he first asked that girl out, he had a kind of hope, but it was, it was not a it was not a living hope. It was a hope hope. <laughs> half alive, half afraid. You know, it was, it was a hope, but it wasn't all there yet. Hope grows. And at some point, hope comes alive because you're not there yet, but you have it in your pocket. I'd call it a pregnant hope, right? You know, it's, it's almost there, but it's not there. And that's what we see when we have a guy come in as, as uh, my left hand as he's watching his, his soon-to-be father-in-law come in with his bride. It's a, it's a swelling hope. Well, this is what a living hope is as we look at it here. It's a living hope. Let me add as well that it's a living hope not only in that it's, it's just about there, but it's a living hope in that it's something to live by. And this hope of the resurrection is something to live by. It's not a thing to die by. It's not a thing to, that you can die in the grips of. You, you must live by this hope. And you must begin young for this hope to transform you. Why must you embrace this young? I, I know that this is not always the case. But more often than not, if you don't embrace this hope young... It doesn't color your life, and it doesn't comfort you in age. Uh, I know, and we've seen here in the church just in recent months, the joy of a father who just this week went to be with the Lord. It seems embracing the hope of the resurrection. But those are rarities, aren't they? Those of you who, who have grown up in the church and who, like me, have been around the things of God for decades, you know that we pray and pray and pray for people to come to know the Lord. And as they get older, our hopes don't rise, our hopes decrease. Because it's so rare for the dying to turn to hope. Why is it? Well, I want to say first that the dying have spent their strength. And if you don't give your strength to Jesus in hope as a young man or a young woman, you may well not have the strength to give him, the strength to hope in him when you get old. Now, you, don't, you may not understand this. It may not grab you, but I'm grabbed by a story in the Bible, a story of an old man 
An old man was David. He was getting up there in years. He was old. He spent much of his time in bed. He was cold. The Bible tells us that David, King David, was old and, and bedridden. A search was made of the entire kingdom for a beautiful young woman to come and keep him warm in his bed. And they found a beautiful young woman. Her name was Abishag. And they brought Abishag to King David's bed. And she lay in it and kept him warm. We don't know how long. But the Bible says that King David, who had how many wives? Solomon had 700. David didn't have that many, but he had a lot. The Bible tells us that David lay there in bed with that woman, Abishag. And never knew her. Now, would that have been the case when he was a young man? Probably not. But he's an old man, and he doesn't have the strength to hope for life. You embrace your hope when it's young, and when you're old. It grips you and carries you because you don't have the strength. Grab hope now. Grab Jesus now. One day you'll need to be carried by Jesus. One day the day will come when you'll need Jesus to take you. Peter's reaching that day. He served Jesus, but now the day is coming when he's going to be led to his cross. Jesus had warned him of it. And his hope will carry him. He carried that hope. He had that hope. He preached that hope. And one day, he will be carried by that hope. Young men and women, embrace Jesus today. Embrace this hope. One day, you'll need that hope to carry you. The second reason to embrace it today is that if you get old without having hoped in Christ, you will have placed your hope in other things. And those other things will need to be your comfort. Jesus tells the story of a rich man and a poor man. Rich man lived in luxury with great wealth and riches. The poor man lived at his gate as a beggar. Poor man's name was Lazarus. The time came that they both died. The rich man went to his reward, which was Hades, hell. The poor man Lazarus went to heaven and was nestled there in glory, in happiness, in the bosom of Abraham, Jesus says. The rich man, looking from hell, saw the poor beggar that had been at his gate, Lazarus, up in the midst of glory. And he said, well, send Lazarus to me. I'm in torment here. I'm in torment. Send him to me. At least a drop of water because it's awful here. Father Abraham says to the rich man, he says, you know, in your life you had your good things. And Lazarus had no good things. But now Lazarus has his reward and you've received what you lived for. You don't want to hope for the rewards of this earth. 
You don't want to live for the crud of this world. You want to throw it away and live for something lasting. You don't want to be the rich man. You do want to be Lazarus, to put your hope in heaven, where God is looking on at you with a father's love. You want the hope of heaven. Third reason to, to, to put your hope in God as a young man or a young woman rather than wait is that as we grow old, I've seen it as a pastor. I've seen it so many times. I just ask you to take it from me, to accept it as true. The dying really have come to believe that they're just going to fade away. They really do. I've been around so many people who had no faith in God who die. And they, they become fooled, uh, confident that as they've lived, so they'll die. And they'll be perfectly happy. They think they're pretty good, but they'll be perfectly happy to just go into the ground and have that be it. You know, they've lived their lives. They don't believe in any justice. They've stopped believing in their sinfulness. They're not worried about sin. They have led a life that they think is good enough. And that God, if he exists, should be pleased with them. But they don't even believe in God. The fool has said in his heart, there's no God. There's no God. I'm going to go in the ground. And what does it matter? Surely as a young man or a young woman, you have a broad enough mind to understand what the old can no longer see. We grow foolish with age. There's no fool like an old fool. He's confident. He knows. But as a young man or a young woman, you look at the world and you understand that there's something beyond just what's visible. You understand that this world is glorious and that there's a God. You understand that, it, that evil is real and an offense against something great and holy and good. That there is evil and good. And therefore, you're in the prime position in life to embrace this hope that God will forgive you your sin because you understand that you're a sinner. No old man who's denied Jesus for decades understands himself to be a sinner. But I tell you, you do. You know you're a sinner. You know it. Don't wait until your mind has grown clogged and clouded and your future has become something that you think you can rule. Turn in hope to Jesus Christ. This hope is for those who want a future. This is not a hope for those whose future is all behind them. This is for those who want a future. And it's a hope that calls you to give your whole life to it. This is another reason to do it now because this hope demands your life. It doesn't say enjoy your life. It says live as an exile. It says live for glory. Live for heaven. Live for the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Live for such a thing. For such a being. For such a Lamb of God. Live for Jesus Christ. If you live for Jesus Christ, you will have a living hope when you die. You'll have a hope that carries you. 
You'll have a hope that motivates you. You won't just become an old man or an old woman teetering and tottering towards the grave in your grumpiness. But you will have a future. Seek the glory of being an exile who loves Jesus Christ as a young man or a young woman. The old, they seek and want ease. They want things to be nice. But it's to you, the young, that the Bible comes and says, seek glory. Seek glory. Do not be put off by the idols and the temptations of this world. Seek the glory of God. Seek to know his son. Now, it's a matter of choice and God's choice of you. You don't choose him. He chooses you. And so you say, what can I do? I'll tell you what you do. You hope in God. You say to God, God, I am placing my hope in you. I will live for you. I want nothing else. I need nothing else besides Jesus. I want to be washed of my sin. I want to have my sins taken away and the righteousness of Christ given to me. This is my hope. And if you say that to God, I promise you, he has chosen you. And you will feel the power of Jesus filling you. This is the resurrection, a living hope, a living hope, not a dying hope, a living hope, something to live by, something worth your life, something worth laying down your life and becoming an exile on this earth in order to achieve and receive. What a glory to be washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, to be sprinkled by him, to be received by the Father as a son of God, to walk and say to Peter, Peter, my brother, this great man, my brother, and to have him say to you, yes, you're chosen with me. We're fellow exiles in this world. What a glory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you to give us this hope. Fill us with it. Fill our day with it. I pray, Father, that this living hope may be found by everyone here this morning. We thank you for your son, his glory, his sacrifice. Thank you, Father, that in him, we are given obedience, the obedience that we lack, and that in him our sins are, are carried and washed and made white as snow. Now, Father, bless this day in our lives, and may this year be a year of hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.